But welcome to the last day of living at the pace of being known. I'm excited to get to continue to spend this time with you guys. Um, and as we've been doing, um, we're giving away books. And we have, uh, you guys can, there's three today. And uh, we have uh, three of This Changes Everything left. And one of everything else left. So um, you can kind of take your pick. But no takers, this is your time to shine. Let me uh, get my questions here. All right. Um, Wednesday, that Wednesday, yeah, two two days ago, we watched part of the Godspeed documentary, and there was the the large Scottish man, redheaded Scottish man, Alan Torrance. What was key to his conversion? Yeah. Uh, he realized that Jesus was like a local person. And yeah, and, and it was he had to look at what? Uh, a map. Yeah, that's oh right. God. Converted by a map. Does anybody know anybody else like that? All right, what's going on? Converted by a map, pretty cool. Not solely by a map, but you know. Um, all right, so yesterday I listed two things that uh, the way we define Godspeed. Two things. Who can name them? Yeah. Uh, it was speed and uh, like being with the area you around. This is very close. Sorry. Yeah, there it is. To be present where you are and be present to whom you are with. Alright, last one. Let's see what else I have here. Okay, so this was really quick. See, I, like, I, we only talked about it for just a minute. The other, the other day, but um, who are the four priests or the priesthoods in the gospel story? Yeah. Um, priesthood of Adam, priesthood of Levi and Aaron, priesthood of Christ, and priesthood of all believers. Got it. Great job. Isn't that a pretty book? That's pretty. Um, well, as we start our time today, um, I want to just read a passage to you. This is what Jesus says to us um, as he calls us kind of into God's speed, and y'all heard this a million times, but this is truly what Christ desires for us. Um, this is Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The reason Jesus can give us rest and why his yoke and burden is light is because he has borne your burden. You, Like Richie has said, you, you just receive the gift. You take the cookie. And that's the gift uh, Jesus is offering to us as we think about the way we live our lives as well. He wants to give us rest and peace and um, he's calling us to, to come to him. And so may we do so this morning and let me pray for us and we'll jump into our time together. Lord, may nothing get in our, our way of coming to you, most especially our pride, our self-righteousness, our thinking that we've got to offer something or bring something to the table, prove ourselves in some way to be acceptable or just to feel good about ourselves. But Lord, in your holiness, in your grace, in every way, uh, you cause us to fall on our face before you. We have nothing to offer. Um, but in the, but even in that, you, you love us. 
and you equip us and give us everything that we need. You clothe us in the royal robes of Jesus. And we pray that today we would feel ourselves strengthened and in that place and empowered by your spirit to live um, at a slower pace, to live at a human way so that we can know each other and um, be open ourselves up to be known by others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, as just a reminder, this is what we're trying to do. It's always good to come back to that. Um, first, is reflect on our speed. You know, we're comparing, contrasting a little bit through our time together. How do I live my life right now? What rate do I live it at? What place do I find myself in geographically, spiritually, emotionally? Am I aware of that? Am I attentive to my own life and my own place enough? And then exploring God's speed. How did Jesus really live? What kind of life is he really calling us to? And the way we move and the, the speed at which we move internally, externally. Our willingness to embrace being ordinary and limited in a place with ordinary people like us. Exploring that and trying that on and then taking it back home. Hopefully you've already had some things for you that have been um, things you already want to take and apply. But today we're going to be especially um, diving into some practical application as it comes down to pace and place. Um, Those are kind of the two big things. Living at the pace of being known means moving at a certain speed, but also being in a place with people. And so we're going to kind of zoom in on that a little bit uh, today. But before we... Oh, sorry, I did want to do this again. Um, My friend in the back here, she got this. This is just a reminder what we mean by God's speed. It means to be present where you are and to be present with to whom and and what surrounds you. Opening ourselves up to see and be seen right where we are. And so um, I'm going to get into some of that practical application about place and pace in a minute. But um, I keep forgetting what my slides are. Let me back up again. This is important. This is like the most important because um, like I just prayed and like I, I read that passage, we talked about like, what we're trying to do here is incredibly hard. The world is set up and pushing against us in this. So how are we going to actually be able to do this and where's the power come from? Well, it's the same stuff we've been talking about all week here at RYM. It comes from Jesus. It comes from his spirit. You know, Jesus saves us, restores us, shows us with his example and how we live and empowers us by his spirit to live God's speed exactly where we are. So it means to be, God's speed means to be present to where you are and to the people and the places that surround you, the things that surround you, in the power of the Holy Spirit as a priest and king, a priest to God where you are and dwelled by his Holy Spirit, your body the temple to the Lord, emanating his glory through your daily sacrificial worship of your own body, through your own body. That's Romans 12, 1 through 2. That's our spiritual sacrifices. So we're going to get into thinking about uh, pace and place in a minute, but uh, we're going to watch the second half of the documentary. I know you're just kidding. You've just been anticipating it, right? You've just been thinking about it all day as you were hiking yesterday, right? Awesome. It's okay if you weren't. Um, would you mind hitting the lights over there for me? I'm going to cue it up for us. And if my big head or this, this uh, podium's in the way, let me know. So where we left everybody off, um, we just heard about Alan becoming converted through the map, and Matt is like learning how to to live in a fishbowl in Scotland where he can't escape from people, and we'll see how the rest of the story goes.
My time in Pitlochry was coming to an end. It was time for me to get ordained, finally to get the collar. I had to find a parish. I thought I had done a good job of learning everything this journey had to teach, learning how to walk, visit. I had only just scratched the surface. There was a place called Mephlik, which gave small a whole new meaning. In Scotland, there's air roads, and there's beer roads. There are no sea roads. But Methlik was at the end of the B999. That is the back of beyond. actually takes these massive S-curves, and the sign says, slow down now. It's following old boundary lines of farms that were made for walking, so you have to slow down. Then as you drop down into the village, you pass the school on the right, where my kids walk every day. On the left, you pass Mars and Methwick, the tractor dealer. Then you hit the main road. This is Methwick. That's the main road, that's one direction, to the church. My house, this way, is to Mephic Motors. And it's called Mephic Motors, but everyone calls it Duncan's, because it's, it's a third generation Duncan's shop. Down the way is, well, the bus has stopped, which is kind of big news. It doesn't come very often. There's the pub. There's the grocery store, but everyone calls that French's, because it's where Jimmy French opened. And then, well, that's it. <laughs> 58 years. 58. All in this house? Yes. Where were you before this? Uh, Udney. Udney, hi. I belong to Udney. And what do you like about life in a village? It's not so fast. There's more time to think about things. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Enjoy living in Mithlick. I've been here all my days for the last 82 years, so I was born in Mithlick. I was born up at Ward 4, Berkeley, right at the back. There's an old building there with it. Still had an iron roof on it, going against an iron roof. That's where I was born. Well, we're here 44, 44 years. We were original tenants here. Well, if I see somebody, I would say hello or good morning, whether I know them or not. So. Well, you would stop and speak to them. And, and most of the people, I took them to school. Quite a lot of people I took to school with when I was driver here. I knew I was going to be away for two years doing national service, so that kind of satisfied my <laughs> outlook. You know, and you come back and then my father died, so I was in charge of the business since when I was 22. You see, my grandfather, bought this shop here from a man named Robert Smith. And the agreement was that he could stay in the house so long as he lived. This is back in the 1920s. Well, Robert Smith, he lived till he was 94. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this year we won the best uh, 
a small community's war memorial in Scotland. Methlick is renowned throughout Aberdeenshire as being one of the closest uh, villages that everybody does things together. And it's got a very good reputation on that. This is the older church. The newer one's just over there. And I even can't say the older church because this is actually fairly modern. The church was founded in about 410, same time Rome fell. But we meet over there now because we've got a roof, which is an improvement upon no roof. <laughs> when I got here, I met Colin Presley. Colin works up at Wardford Farm. He works the fields. He raises sheep. He's the head elder of the church. Well, we met uh, Matt, the first time in Neswick, uh, in the pub here on the corner there. We tried to uh, introduce him to a few names. We tried to give him a, a brief uh, outline of the, the village and who was who and where was where. And to introduce me to the parish, he showed me a map. Colin then began to recount for me the names of each person who lived in each home, which also had names. And I thought, he's doing this from memory. I live in a farm called Ward Ford which is uh, a name given to a part of the river Iceland, which was very shallow and used to be able to cross over there with a uh, horse and gig. <coughs> Our big farms are Ochencreeve, Cato Ochencreeve, Stephen Mackey, late Stephen Mackey, Bochwindicky, Lee Haddo. There's just a number of farms around the, around the, the, the parish here. He had all these names memorized, and not just the names, but their stories. He knew the history of the families, the good, the bad, the painful. He just kept describing the people he knew and loved and looked after. Things are done here uh, correctly, perhaps leisurely, but I think there's a far better quality of life here in this uh, small village where everybody knows everybody and, and, and there's a strong community uh, spirit amongst us all. And he was a man uh, from America, young, fast living perhaps, and we thought, well, we, here we could maybe educate them in the more slower things of life. So one woman I buried is Ethel Davidson. She was 92 years old, and talking to her family about how she lived, I found out she never once left Netflix. Someone like Ethel is known in a way I cannot imagine being known. In the beginning, this fishbowl world was a little bit scary. I can't say oppressive, but I was kind of thinking, my goodness, they can see everything I'm doing. When I watched how Colin would listen to me, or to somebody else, or take the time to visit someone, I realized I would need to make a whole lot more time than I used to, to be present with people. If you live in the same community with us, you also have the benefit of seeing God's grace at work in There's brother so-and-so. Don't go within two miles of him or Krakatoa will look like a penny banger. After 10 years, you can probably get within half a mile of him. After 40 mile years, you can maybe get within six feet of him. Okay, if God can do that with him, maybe he can work with me too. Now, maybe the swung down just has become more, more of a habit of being there but something has to happen you can't just rush through life one of the things that technology 
makes it more difficult for us to do is that there's so much quick information. And if you don't get quick information, you probably think, well, forget about it. Somebody else will figure it out. But nobody's going to figure out the person of somebody's name. You've got to pay attention for that. Some years ago, there was a theologian who wrote a book called Three Mile an Hour God, because basically we walk, uh, most humans walk roughly three miles an hour. Uh, the thought of traveling at only three miles an hour fills most of us with horror now. If we are walking, if we are going at three miles an hour, we are going at a much more, if you like, humane pace. And we can, there is time to process what we're seeing and what we're experiencing and smelling and knowing. And then the thought that maybe if we are made in the image of God, maybe this is why we sometimes get so frustrated with God. We want God to go 60 miles an hour. If I see what I want God to do, I want to do it right now. And in fact, God is walking slowly around Palestine, around Galilee. God is doing what God is doing in God's time. And maybe if we were prepared to slow down a bit, look who's talking, we might actually be able, paradoxically, finally to catch God up. The idea of slowing down to catch up with God is counterintuitive. It makes no sense. People used to wish each other well with the expression, God speed to you, by which they meant, we hope it goes quickly. Maybe God's speed really is three miles per hour. And if we walk with him, we will let him know us and let other people know us too. Colin came by the manse one day, and he knew I wasn't me. And he put it nicely. He said, Matt, you come alive Monday nights at the gatherings when you're talking to people, asking questions. It's a little different on Sundays. And you should risk trying it on a Sunday morning. And when he said, I should risk trying it, I felt two things. I felt great excitement and great fear. Fear because if I tried speaking without my notes, I didn't know what would happen. But I feared what would happen. I would freeze. I'd get lost. I'd feel a fool. And that might not be other people's fear, but it's mine. But I also felt great excitement because I thought if I could just talk face to face to people about scripture, about things they care about, things I care about, this could be a conversation. So I took the risk. I sat in the front row with the congregation all behind me. And I heard two voices. One was saying, go for it. Enjoy this. You got nothing to lose. The other voice said, you have everything to lose. You're a preacher. You're meant to preach a good sermon. You've got a people who need to hear it. It was an accusing voice. And I knew which one to trust. One's the devil's, one's God's. One leads to freedom, one leads to guilt. But I could not have won that battle in my brain by myself. I needed help. And that's when I believe the Spirit helped me stand, turn, and face the congregation, who in facing them ceased being the congregation. There was Ann Gardner, Liam, his sister Lexi, all the people I knew who would give me the grace I could not give myself.
There was Sandy Forbes, Margaret, Jan, Sue, and Evelyn, Valerie Mitchell, and Granny Wallace, and my family, Madeline, Chapman, Iona, Amy Kate, my wife Julie. I was in a fishbowl, and I was unafraid. This is what Tom Wright is writing about. This is what Alan Torrance can do naturally, looking me in the eye. This is what I was now tasting in talking to people who were once strangers who had given me grace. This is how Jesus changed the world and is still changing me. I'm not sure that we can ever go back and pretend that we uh, like people were 2,000 years ago. For most of us, that's not an option. Um, it seems to me what we have to do is to learn to, to use wisely the gifts that we now have been given. Becoming known is, is a mutual process. It's a giving and receiving, holding nothing back and not saying, I refuse to accept this aspect of you. Uh, I refuse to give this aspect of myself. You know, some people say, ah, oh, slow, I mean, you know, it's, it's not good, slow is not good, but sometimes slow is good. There's no place on this earth that's without potential for holiness. Or maybe the potential for unearthing our holiness right where we are, with these people. Thirteen years ago, I thought I was ready to become a pastor. It's crazy how one conversation with Eugene started this whole journey. I may have helped some people learn how to trust Jesus. They taught me how to walk like Jesus, how to listen like him, how to risk being known, and how to know others. But there's still a long way to go.
when you first heard the word perish, what did you think? I don't know what he was talking about. <laughs> I wondered exactly how are you going to translate what you're doing there here? I think it might be hard. I think Scotland is a lot calmer than America. I want to slow down, but I'm not really sure how to do that. I have no idea. <laughs> This is going to be hard, but everybody knows that, that there are people here who want to try. Together, we're going to figure out what it means in America to live at God's speed. for me. I don't know if that got your gears turning. It certainly did when I was watching it the first time. And I just wanted to tell you before I moved on is they have some more resources on their website if you want to dig into this stuff a little bit more. LiveGodSpeed.org. I think I told you about that yesterday. Um, you can watch the film again. Um, if you think this is something you'd want to go through with a, some friends or um, like a small group, they have a, a seven-week study guide that actually has some additional videos you can watch and discuss. It's really cool, a lot of fun. This is what I did with a couple of my friends. You can get that on their website. Um, Matt's wife, she's a um, really smart lady. She's, I think she even has a PhD, and she has written this really cool little book. I tried to get it for the book table here, but we weren't able to get it. Her name's Julie Canlis, and this book is called A Theology of the Ordinary. It's a really uh, cool book, um, and she just looks at the different persons of the Trinity and how they speak to the ordinary life, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if you want to pick this up, I think it's like it's super cheap on Amazon. Maybe you'll be able to get it. Um, or you might have to go with Godspeed and wait a little slower, you know, be a little slower to get to you. Um, you can get the DVD if you want, if you're more like that um, as well. Um, they got lots of that stuff um, online for you. Um, but just reflecting on, on the documentary and our, and our time together, I just want to jump into a few things. We're going to look at place and pace. First is thinking about place. I'm going to draw some things out from the documentary, but also um, throw a couple other things in there. Um, this question, God asks. He asks all of us. This is what he asked Moses in Exodus 3 when he found the burning bush. Or actually, that's the next part. God asks, where are you, like he did in Genesis um, 2, or Genesis 3, um, asking Adam and Eve when they were in hiding, where are you? And he asked that same question to us, where are you? What place are you in? That can mean multiple different things, and I'll come to that in a minute. And what we're, he's drawing us to is this place of confession and repentance to say, here I am, being seen for who you are right where you are, with whatever's going on in your life. Embracing um, this place before the Lord. 
Um, and a, key, a couple key quotes that jumped out, uh, jumped out to me from the documentary related to this is that the gospel trains us in attentiveness. As we enter into this love relationship with the, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we're more and more trained to be attentive to what is there, what is there in terms of with Him and with those that are around us. This is something, what it means to live God's feet, just to be attentive. And the gospel more and more reshapes us to do that. And uh, Eugene Peterson uh, said this as well. Every place has the potential for unearthing holiness. Even your place. Even with all the jacked up stuff that are going on right now that maybe you've even started to think about as you're preparing to go back home. Every place has the potential for unearthing holiness. And you are a part of that by God's grace. So this can, you can answer this question, you can ask this question in several different ways. You can ask that physically and geographically. You're in a physical place, where are you? You have a state, you have a town, you have um, a street, you have an address, neighborhood, school. Where has God placed you? How attentive are you to that place? How much have you engaged that place? Which involves the people, which involves the the landmarks, the stories behind all of these things, the names. How much have you been attentive to your place? Have you embraced it or are you rejected from God? A lot of times we always want to be somewhere else. Where are you at with that? How attentive have you been in embracing that? How, how good at you, are you at that? This has been something I've had to really grow in. But then you're also always somewhere spiritually and emotionally. Do you know how you're feeling right now? Do you know what emotion you're feeling right now? Can you name that? How much have you matured and grown in that ability? Do you know how you're doing spiritually with the Lord? Do you think about that? Are you attentive to that? Is that something you think about on a daily basis? Where am I at with the Lord? Am I hiding? Am I running? Am I living out in my shame? Or am I moving towards? Am I confessing my sin? Am I seeking to turn from my sin and repentance back to the Lord? What's going on in my heart? Do I really know? If I don't know how to do that, is there, who, who can I find to help me do that? And I know your youth leaders would love to help you in that. We struggle with this too, by the way. Also, side note, counseling is really good for you and can help you with this. I speak from experience. Place. Application for place. Engage your parish. Go back home with renewed excitement and energy to get to know the names of your neighbors, your classmates. If you're like in a big public school, imagine you sit next, you're sitting in the desk and you have no idea who that person is right next to you. Maybe get to know them. And I know it's hard because you have one screen on your side and one screen on their side to, to kind of push through. But you can be that weird person in class who actually like looks people in the eye and tries to get to know them. Because that's what the other person really wants anyways. And you're, and you're looking for as well. Learn the names of your local trees. Um, I got a really nerdy gift for Christmas last year. Uh, Mary Jane likes to get me, she calls them nerd gifts every year. And my nerd gift was a, a field, an Audubon field guide for the North American trees. Because I want to know what trees are in my yard. And our, a park that we can walk to. And I've already been identifying them and out there figuring stuff out. Um, it's been actually really cool and really fun. But learn, learn the names of trees. How, how do they get there? Why are they there? What are they like? You know. Uh, uh, learning what's in your yard, what kind of flowers you have, what are the roads that are there, how long have they been there, what did, the, what did it look like before they were interstates? 
What are the local businesses that are important? Why are they there? What kind of industry do they contribute to? What are the pets? What's the do- dog's name next door? What kind of dog is it? Or cats? You said you killed your neighbor's cat, right? Ran over your cat? Uh, don't do that. <laughs> but you know why? Th- I'm sorry, I just called you out there. Um, <laughs> we talked later. We talked, uh, we talked yesterday or the other day. Um, what's really neat about this, and, and N.T. Wright said this, is like, you know, it, it, this is only boring if you lack imagination. Everybody is infinitely fascinating. And behind all these people and things are, are stories. There are stories. Like our park across the street from us, there's, that's where our city hall is for our town, De Pere. And it used to be an orphan, a Lutheran orphan home. And there was a farm, and, I, and I've been able to learn some of these things, and it just increased the uh, enjoyment of the place. Um, and there's stories everywhere you are, too. Some of them are hard stories. Some of them are exciting stories. Um, increase your ability to enjoy the place. And you connect with other people over the place because they find it meaningful to them as well. People that live there. Um, here's another thing. Like I said, we have a park near us, the city hall, but we also have a Lutheran church that is like, they, they have the church bells that ring uh, all the time. And, and um, Matt in the study guide mentions that, that, that the church bells were something that helped orient him in time like that, uh, help orient him in time to say, hey, it's six o'clock right now and I'm in this place. Here I am, Lord. You hit, you hit the time for us, my man. Uh, here I am, Lord. It's 9.35, Friday, June 21st, and I'm in Estes Park, Colorado at the YMC of the Rockies. Here I am, Lord. Maybe you could do something like that. If you want to set an alarm a couple times in the day on your phone or your watch, just to remind you to stop for just a second and say, Lord, here I am, right here. And just take a notice. Maybe like grab something that's physical and say, I'm, I am physically in this place, and it's good. Just waking up to see, hey, I'm actually right here right now. That can be your kind of church bell if you don't have one. Helps train us in awareness and prayerfulness. Maybe an opportunity to just stop and pray right where you are. And those short prayers, not like like Richie was talking about last night, not in your prayer voice, but in your real voice. Um, so this is what we kind of did at the end of our time last time when we did the weird thing together. Um, there's an app called Headspace, and it's by this, I think it's like, he's Australian or New Zealand, New Zealander. Anybody else know about this app? He's like a Buddhist Yeah, yeah. So there's some things to take and there's some things to leave, okay, <laughs> with this. But it's, it's a health, can be a helpful tool, even if you don't use the app, something you can sit down and kind of help yourself be ready to pray, just to slow yourself down. Think into that habit of just being aware of, hey, what am I feeling right now? What's going on in my heart? What's really bothering me? Sometimes we don't even know the stuff that's making us anxious, like Richie was talking about last night. There's, there's these fears that we ignore. Some things like this can be helpful. Granted, this guy's a Buddhist, so be wise. There's things to take, there's things to leave, but finding ways to just be still and slow yourself down, slow your heart down. That deep breathing is a really great thing even just for calming anxiety, even if you're not using it. So in the app, he just it's some, of, some of it's free, some of it's not free. It's just um, kind of guided meditation and just slowing, slowing down guide, and, the, and some of the breathing. And uh, I, I found that helpful. But just, you know, use it with a note of caution. This guy's not a believer. Um, and, so, and this comes from a, a different religious background. But that can be really helpful to prepare to pray just so you know what's going on because we're not very good at knowing ourselves sometimes. Okay, this is one we all love, right? 
because of who we are, because of where we're going up, to be able to be attentive, we might need to take a break from our screens just to detox to get it out of our system. We're so um, hooked that we, um, we might need to step back from them just so we can grow in this ability to be attentive. Um, I'll rat out some of my guys. I was sitting at uh, dinner with three of my guys last night, and I sat there, and all three of them were on their phones for 10 minutes and never said a word to me. I don't think they even knew that. And I'd ask them questions. They would sort of answer, and then they'd forget what they were talking about and do something else. Granted, they're a little farther down on the spectrum with, with this stuff than other folks in our group. Very inattentive. And the more you do that, the more it shapes you to be that way, even when you don't have a phone. Right? Y'all see this. Y'all, I think y'all are aware of that a little bit. Um, maybe you need to take a break from that. Um, weekly digital Sabbath. I'm going to get to the Sabbath in general in a little bit. But taking a day off from your work in, and, uh, is, is, a, is a command and a gift from God. But maybe set aside your digital devices. Set aside your screens for a day. Just one day a week. And you're like, but of my streaks. It's going to be okay. <laughs> we can talk about it later. Anyway, consider this. Take a day off. It's not going to kill you. It's actually going to be really good for you. It's a gift to help you improve your attentiveness. Um, if you want to go more extreme, you could do a digital detox. Uh, seven. I'm just going to go through all, at least I can have it all on the screen. Uh, a digital detox, seven plus days of setting aside. And that book that I uh, handed out, The Competing Spectacles, which is also on the book table, Tony Ranke actually wrote it as a companion to go along with a digital detox. This is when you're taking seven days away from screens, basically, for the, almost entirely. You know, maybe um, you, know, like you leave your phone on if someone needs to call you in an emergency. But you're taking a, a, a break from all those things for at least seven days to detox, to get it out of your system, because you don't know how ensnared and inattentive you are until you put it aside. You won't really see it until you do it. And I've done it, and it's scary. Or if you ever check the Screen Time app and see actually how much time you're actually on your phone, y'all are like, I don't look at that. <laughs> you know, most people, it's actually double what they think it is. Or if you want to go even more extreme, and this is what a guy, uh, Cal Newport, book Digital Minimalism, it's also on the book table, great book. He recommends a 30-day digital declutter be, because he says it, it takes that long to really set it aside. And y'all are like, whoa, no way, Jose. Think about it. If you want to talk more about it or read that book, I would encourage you to do it. But at the very least, consider taking a break to just see where you're at with this and to help you be attentive. This is a hurdle. Of, uh, this is a stumbling block for us to get to live this way. So if you're going to do a digital detox, here's some recommendations for me. Turn off push notifications. The only thing that can make my phone do anything is a phone call or a text message. And most of the time, I also make do not disturb my default. Because I want to be on my phone when I want to be on my phone. I don't want to be interrupted with whoever I'm with. Those are some recommendations. Some of this comes out of the digital minimalism book. Some of them are just from other places. But turn off your push notifications. You don't need to know about that stuff right away. And it, and it interrupts your ability to be with the people you're with and to see the things you're seeing. Make Do not disturb your default. That's a suggestion. If, or at the very least, put it on for you know, um, your home time. You know, time when you don't have everything going on. Use the screen time part if you have an iPhone. I'm sure there's something for Android as well. But just to see how much are you using your phone and where are you spending your time. And you can even set restrictions to like, you know, limit your usage in certain ways. Take advantage of that and get accountability, whether it's your parents or friends or somebody, your youth leader, to help you say, hey, I'm really trying to grow in this. Can you, can you like check in with me and help me with this? 
or like, hey, can you like, do you have the password, set the restrictions and put it in so that I can't change it? Because <laughs> it'll shut you down in like certain, certain apps if you want to like take a break from it. It'll shut it down for you, which is awesome. Um, that's a helpful tool. Um, also, understand dopamine. It's this, this chemical in our bodies that every time you get a like or whatever, it's like this little hit. And you know, you, know, you, feel, you feel good. Um, and this happens with other things. It's the equivalent of mind and soul sugar. So what that is like is if you took, you had a big bowl of sugar and you just took a spoonful of it over and over and over again throughout your whole day until you went to sleep. How would you feel if you ate sugar that much in a day? Like just white sugar that you bake stuff with. You would feel like garbage. And sometimes we do feel like garbage when we do this. This is, uh, this is what we're doing when we're, when we're constantly looking for that feedback from a game, from, a, from social media, um, from the novelty of some new information. It's like binging on mind sugar. And just realize that that's what's actually going on um, and, it, and it quickly goes away. This is not good for us. This, makes, this is bad for us. Okay, here we go. Delete social media from your phone or take a break from it. Um, and go grayscale. Just try it, okay? Just see if you can do it. I dare you to do it. If you can't live life without social media, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with you. Serious. And I know that a lot of your social life and friendships go through that. I, I, I have a lot of sympathy for that. But if you, can, if you can't live life without it, you're enslaved to it. So I dare you. Do it. Or, or just admit you're a slave. Go grayscale. This makes your phone really boring. You can go under accessibility. I'll show you how to do it later if you want to. You can turn it so it's just all black and white. Like I did that for a little bit. I did like a digital detox and I put it on grayscale and I'd pick up my phone and I'm like, nah. <laughs> it's so boring. <laughs> it makes it so boring. So um, that's another like way to keep you from like being on it longer than you want to be. Um, it's super boring. But uh, you can look up online how to do that or I can show you. It's, it's a kind of a neat thing. Um, keep going. Um, also sleep more. Y'all are, are just tired. You're exhausted. I know this. You're supposed to be sleeping 8 to 10 hours a night. Some of you do that. A lot of you don't. Um, but here's some ways you can sleep more. Charge your phone outside of your room. Get in a real alarm clock. They're like five bucks or whatever. You know, they're super cheap. Um, and you can have it by your bed. Charge your phone outside your room. Like, you need a break from it. Um, put your phone to sleep when you sleep. And give yourself at least an hour to wind down to go to bed. Because those blue lights, and even when you have night mode, it still has the effect on you of just making it harder for you to fall asleep. Have an hour to wind down so you can actually get some good sleep and rest. And one thing that we like to sing to our kids is we sing a version of um, Psalm 4.8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. God wants you to sleep. You can even sing that as you go to bed. We sing it to our boys. And now that you've got all this free time, Set aside time for Bible study. You actually want to read your Bible. You have time to do it. Do it. You know, all this distraction, do it. Talk to God about your life, how you're feeling, what's actually going on. Actually, you become more aware of what's actually going on. And spend time with people, the people that are around you. You have time for friendship and fellowship. And that's so much better. Like, you had no service at Rocky Mountain National Park yesterday. Wasn't it glorious? <laughs> so much better. Granted, we don't always have the opportunity to be in that park when we're doing this stuff. But it's great. It's wonderful.
And here's another thing. If you're going to draw these, take these things out of your life, you've got to fill, the, fill your life with other things. And I think we all long for these kind of things, but it's also scary. Because uh, we don't always know what to do um, in this regard. I'm thinking of investing in analog activities, non-digital activities that refresh and rejuvenate you. Hobbies, fun things, activities that you like to do that don't involve a digital device that you could do in your free time. And these things need to be active, not just passive consuming, not just like you're taking stuff in, but you're actually going and doing something. Like, I'm going to go build something out of wood. I'm going to write a poem. I am going to start a club. I'm going to go to this group. We're going to build a robot. Something that's active instead of passive consumption. Maybe it's a sports team. I don't know. Something productive, something that creates valuable things in the physical world. And this stuff is coming from the Digital Minimalism book. Creating valuable things in the physical world. I got a really cool opportunity last week uh, when I was down at the beach with my father-in-law. He, uh, he used to be in construction, super handy, and we stayed at this beach house, and he will build or fix stuff so that we can stay there for free, basically. And so I got to help him build this deck and this walkway that's on the bay right behind the house. And it was awesome. Like, we built that, and it's there. Like, it's there forever, and we did it. Like, people can go back and use it, and, it's, and it, it'll be there for at least a while. And that was really exciting for me, because I normally don't do stuff like that. I was using a whole different part of my brain, and I, and I, was, just discon I was just disconnected from all the other stuff. Um, what are some things like that that you could fill your life with? What are things you've always wanted to try or interested in? You've got all this free time, go for it. Learn and figure this stuff out. You ever look at, like, history? There's these people that are, like, you know, Renaissance men. Like, how do they learn how to do that, all that stuff? They didn't have the internet. They just went out and they got, were curious with stuff and they just jumped into it and figured it out and, and, tried to, and, and explored it. You can do that. You can. You really can. It, it may be scary to start. I'm scared too. But let's try it. Something structured and social. If it's not um, scheduled, you probably won't do it. And if, if, if you have people around you doing it, you're more likely to do it. I'm a part of a uh, b basketball group that plays on Wednesdays and Fridays at 6 in the morning at our local gym. Six o'clock, I know. It's really hard to wake up, but if I know that I'm one of the eight people that are required to play, I'll get up at 5.30 and I'll get over there. It's good for me, it's fun, it's non-digital. I love basketball. What's, that, what's something like that for you that you could do with people that's structured, that's regular, real-world interaction, you have some accountability? Because those guys are going to dog me out if I don't show up. Because nobody wants to play three-on-three. Three. Come on. Pace. Let's think about Jesus' life for a second. How old was Jesus when he died? 33. He's 33 years old. That's very we know. Age 0 to 30. He was born and nobody knew about him. 91% of his life. What the heck? What is he doing for 30 years? What is God doing for 30 years? This is the Messiah, the Son of God. He's only going to spend three years of his life. Look at this. Three years of his life. 9% of his life is in public ministry, healing, and preaching. Less than 0.01% is his passion. His salvific work kind of summed up in that last week. What is God doing? Why is Jesus moving so slow? Were those 30 years wasted? They weren't. Jesus was being human, fully human on our behalf to be our, our sacrifice. He was earning he, through his obedience, righteousness on our behalf. 
for us so that we could stand before the throne of God and not be condemned. He had to do that so that he could be the fitting sacrifice for us. He was not wasting his time. He is our great high priest who can relate to us in everything, who can sympathize with us in everything. He's the man of sorrows who's experienced loss and pain and struggle. He lost his stepdad when he was young. His friend Lazarus died. He probably tripped and fell and scraped his knee like you and me when we were little. He had to learn how to read the, he had to read the Bible so that he knew what it said. He wasn't Superman. He didn't just, or, or like some psychic person. He didn't just like know it by osmosis. He had to learn the Bible. He went to church. He went to VBS or whatever the equivalent would have been. You know what I'm saying? It was not a waste of time, but Jesus was not in a hurry. This is the way God works. Think about it. God created in six work days and one rest day. Why didn't he just say, let there be, and it was everything? Why did he do that? Why does he rest? He's like a waste of a day, right? That's not the way God works. He works through prophets, priests, judges, and kings. Horrible people like you and me. He works through them. Why? Why wouldn't he just do it himself? And Jesus, the unexpected, unlikely Messiah, of all people, like he was born to an unwed virgin and like Richie said, the equivalent of a dog bowl in a stable. Why does God do it this way? And why does he use us? Putting his Holy Spirit in us and, and using us. Why would he do that? I'll tell you why. God's not in a hurry. Like we are. He moves at a different speed. And I love this quote. This is from the guy who wrote that book, Three Mile an Hour God. He says, God walks slowly, as we interpret it, because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It is slow, yet it is the Lord over all other speeds, since it is the speed of love. You cannot rush love. It takes lots of time, lots of intimacy, lots of experiences together. And that's something I've experienced in my marriage. I, was, I just was so in love with Mary Jane when we first met and just wanted to marry her as fast as possible. But I love her now way more than I, ever, than I did then and, I, and more than I could think that I would because we've lived life together. We've been together. We've had kids together. We've moved and experienced loss and hardship together. It takes sticking around and investing, being vulnerable and um, responding to other people and their vulnerability to love. It takes time. Like Matt learned when he was in Scotland, it took time for him to learn this and experience this. So how do we apply this? You already did this yesterday. Go on a long walk and hike. Look around and notice things. What do you see? I was marveling at the aspen trees. We don't, I don't think we have those as much in Missouri. They're really beautiful. And our, tr- our uh, bus driver who is around here, this, this area a lot, was telling me they look really beautiful and fall because they turn yellow, this beautiful yellow. Look around and notice things. Um, I think most of our group was just trying to conquer the mountain yesterday, but slowing down and just appreciating what's around you. Maybe you go on a hike today. Um, think of Jesus walking with you at three miles an hour. Just imagine that. Because he's with you by his spirit. He's moving at three miles an hour. What if you met at three miles an hour with him and just talked to him about your life? Observe the Sabbath. Your work, this is a command from God, but it's also a gift. This is for our good. 
to take a day off, and your work is school and sports. And maybe if you have a job too, that's that too. Do you have a day, a whole day, and I would recommend Sunday because you worship on that day too, where you just get to rest? It's not about how fast you're going. It's not about what you're producing or what you're offering. You just get to be and worship and rest. This, by the way, this is a command of God, and it's something that's for your good. It's not hokey or hyper-religious. It's basic, and it's good for you. And maybe you stay off your screens that day, too. Um, this is tough. And like I said, living God's speed, there is a loss and a challenge to this. But maybe consider quitting a sport or activity, especially if you're just super overwhelmed and anxious. Maybe drop something that you're doing because it's killing you. You don't have enough time to live Godspeed because you're doing too much. And maybe you're doing too much because you think you got to prove yourself or you're some underlying fear and anxiety that you haven't owned yet, that you haven't faced yet. And you're scared to, and that's why you keep doing all these things. That You're scared that if I don't do all these things, I won't get into the college I'm supposed to, and I won't meet the person I'm supposed to marry, and I won't have the job I'm supposed to have. I know that feels really intense, but you'll, you'll be all right. Jesus will provide for you. And cultivate the spiritual disciplines. Reading your Bible. Praying. Meditating on God's Word. Practicing solitude and silence. And watchfulness over your own heart and the temptations you face. You can't do that if you're going too fast. And if your schedule is so full that you have no time for reflection. You're not even attentive to where you are. Um... I want us to close our time with Jesus talking to us, okay? We're going to do another little weird thing. You ready? You ready? All right, sit up straight. We're going to listen to this song. This, I want you, this is a kid's song, all right? I like these kid's songs, though. We listen to these with our kids. Rain for Roots. And it's just a short one. I just want you to slow down and imagine Jesus saying this to you, praying, praying this over you. So let's start taking some deep breaths. In through the nose, out the mouth, back straight, hands on your legs, in, out, in, out. And on your next breath in, I want you to slowly close your eyes. Just keep breathing and feeling your weight of your body in the chair. Right here, this is where you are, this place. And I want you to just hear Jesus praying this and saying this over you and inviting you to rest with him.
My Father, we pray, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us to walk with you, to rest in you, to move at the rhythms of your grace and to learn them. And we pray that you'd help us to live God's speech, your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here, guys. I've enjoyed it time with you.